Welcome to TribCast, the flagship podcast for the Lacrosse Tribune. I'm digital news editor Scott Rada, joined as always by Elizabeth Byer. And today we have Tribune City Government reporter Jordan Vian. Hello. And our guest today from the City of Lacrosse is Carolyn Gregerson, who is the Community Development Administrator. Hi. Thanks for coming across the street. You're welcome. Uh, we brought you over here to talk a little bit about housing in Lacrosse, both uh, owner-occupied and uh, uh, rental housing. But I guess the place maybe to jump off is there a, is there indeed a housing shortage here in the city? Oh, definitely. Um, as you know, Lacrosse is a very old city, so um, we're completely built out at this point. But what the great trend that we're seeing is a desire for more and more people to live in the city, be where they could walk or bike to work or the downtown. So um, we've got plenty of housing in La Crosse, but there's a couple of challenges. Um, one is that housing might be priced too high for the per- person looking for housing. Right? And that would be either rental or... Rental or owner-occupied. We're one of a probably heard or written about that we're one of the tightest real estate markets next to Madison in the state. Um, And then another issue is that um, a lot of people are looking for some newer amenities or newer housing. And again, we just have that older housing stock. So for example, 50% of the city's housing stock was built before 1960, and 75% of our housing stock was built before the 1970s. So, um, you know, a lot of things we've heard about are attached garages. Um, That's not, that's kind of tricky to find here in the city. Um, So we're definitely seeing both a demand for newer rental and single family housing and um, housing that's affordable for people as well. And you mentioned newer rental. It, it, at least it seems to me that, you know, if you split the housing pie into rental and owner-occupied, the newer construction has really been focused around some, you know, pretty large rental projects in the city. Yes, and um, we're really excited about that because, again, um, that's meeting a demand. Right now, between the two, we probably need... Um, we have a greater demand for rental housing in La Crosse. Just, again, because there's a after the recession, there was kind of a change in preferences where people were not sure that they wanted to hang on to that mortgage or worry about snow shoveling or mowing their lawn. Um, and then, again, that millennial generation, we find that they are more interested in renting. So... Um, so we, we are excited about a lot of the new development that we've seen in La Crosse, um, but it's still extremely challenging because, again, we don't have a lot of just open, we have hardly any just open fields. Um, so it's very expensive to do some of this um, development because it involves maybe acquiring an old building, tearing it down, um, rehabbing, doing a significant rehabilitation on a very um, an existing building, and that is a lot more expensive than just perhaps you know going to Holman um, and just buying a plot of land and building there. And you mentioned some of those you know reusable buildings. That uh-huh. The two that come to mind, I'm sure there's others, are the Gun Brewery lofts, which are probably not as new as I remember them to be, but mm-hmm. just south of Gunderson, and then a little more recently the Roosevelt School on the north side. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, and the city had, I, I guess for me, the city did have a role in the Roosevelt um, School Project. Uh, we provided financing from our community development block grant and, um, and uh, tax increment financing to see those projects happen. So that's kind of how the city fits in is we find that to get new development, if it's um, in many cases, if it's what we call affordable housing, um, that's going to be priced at a, a lower price point than brand new market rate housing, um, that there, there needs to be an incentive there or a subsidy to make the development happen. So, And I'm sure, though, you hear from people in the community who say, just let the market work. Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why did you kind of touched on it a bit, but maybe you could explain a little more why you think the city has a role in planning and incentivizing these developments instead of just sitting back and saying, well, whatever happens, happens. Well, one of the primary reasons is, you know, the cost of construction right now has, is going through the roof. So that means if you were not to provide any sort of incentives, just build brand new construction, um, you're looking at, you know, uh, rents well over 1500 to $1,800 a month just to cover the costs of parking and those that new construction. So one of our priorities is um, making sure that there's housing that's affordable for someone making $11 an hour or $15 an hour. And so to hit that uh, price point, uh, the city has been very active in um, trying to bring what we call low-income housing tax credits to the city. And that requires an incentive to, again, build those apartments uh, to a price point that's affordable because if it was just purely the market, again, we're looking at really high rents. Um, The other thing that I touched on earlier, again, is maybe some of the challenges of building in La Crosse. Uh, One of those is there's probably going to be an existing building that you need to acquire and tear down. That's an extra cost to development. Um, You know, a lot of times you're going to have to do completely new um, water and sewer lines. That's another cost that we um, can help offset with incentives. So one of the reasons that why the city is getting involved, again, is to make, um, to make sure we have apartments out there that fit every price range and every job level. And secondly, um, we're getting involved because we know that people are looking for those kind of apartments. And if there wasn't some sort of incentive, the development would not happen. Why does it benefit the city to have those kind of developments happening? Um, one thing, again, is just meeting the demand. Um, it helps our economy grow, grow, meeting the demand for people that want to live in the city but can't find the housing that they need. Um, and so, for example, that spurs, you know, attracts people to come live in La Crosse. And secondly, you know, a large priority for the city of La Crosse is continually growing what we call our tax base. Um, because we're landlocked, we don't have enough newer housing to support all the services that we're providing, police, fire, new roads. To support that, we need tax base, and that newer development uh, really helps with that. Um, and again, uh, another linkage in particular in my 
expertise, which is what we call affordable housing, is we found that there's obviously a direct link between homelessness and the cost that that has on the city and whether or not I can find an apartment that I can afford. Um, we know that if you're paying over 50% of your income, that's crowding out your ability to save, to handle an emergency. Um, and we have about, uh, we have 3,520 households in La Crosse that right now are paying more than 50% of their income in rent. And that's about 17% of our population. So um, again, um, in the particular realm of, of affordable housing, we find uh, that incentivizing that kind of development too can just help address a multitude of issues, help our citizens that are already living here. Uh, finally, another thing we're finding is that seniors, um, they want to maybe stay in La Crosse, but they can no longer take care of their home, and they're living on a fixed income of Social Security. They might want to live in an apartment, but again, a $1,500 and $1,800 apartment is not affordable for um, a senior, and so uh, this provides a great um area to help our seniors age in place. You know, since uh, Mayor Tim Cabot has been in office, one of his focuses has been uh, neighborhood redevelopment, mm -hmm. and he's been pretty outspoken about that. And there is, I think, a concern among many people in the city that there is what people call rental conversions, where yeah. single-family homes are turned into rental property. And I know there is some early stages of talks about how to address some of that. But in, in a lot of ways, that speaks to what you said at the beginning, is that there is still an increasing demand for rental property. That all said, what kind of things, what kind of places in the city, first of all, does La Crosse hope to add to its multifamily housing area? And secondly, what, what actions are being taken to sort of spur that development where the city wants it to happen? Um... Yes, and I would just like to say, too, we're focused on both areas, both the multifamily and the owner-occupied housing, which we could probably talk about later. But in terms of multifamily housing, um, the city is very focused on kind of where it makes sense. And one of the primary areas is uh, multifamily housing works really well close to jobs. It works very well on bus lines, so people don't need a car to live there. Um, and we're, we're really trying to encourage it where we might see some um, blighted properties on major thoroughfares where we'd really like to just see something different there. Um, one of the challenges that's perhaps in, you know, our plan is a lot of our aging strip malls that, you know, we're, we're just seeing a decline in that traditional retail. So Bridgeview Plaza comes to mind. Kmart, possibly. Kmart um, is another one of areas where, you know, the old use strip mall, big parking lot um, might not make sense. What about some mixed use housing? So we're also focused on, um, especially on those main corridors, uh, trying to incentivize um, commercial on the first floor and residential above. Um, one, uh, you know, we're, we're currently uh, partnering, for example, with Gunderson. Uh, the city had the former, former Farnham Park, and we're working in a partnership to get that site redeveloped to commercial on the ground floor and residential above. 
Um, and so, for example, again, the cost of it's a small site, so the cost of parking, um, the location, all of the, the fact that we had to tear down a building means that, you know, the city had to get involved to see that development happen. But what a great thing to have some more housing that's going to be um, for the employers, employees at Gunderson who can now walk to work. Um, so my colleague, Jason Gilman, is actually going to be, is working on a plan to define specific areas. Um, but basically, again, we're looking for where is there a lot of property that we'd like to see look different, maybe blighted areas, and also those main thoroughfares and close to bus lines and jobs and uh, other amenities. You mentioned owner-occupied housing is also a focus of yours. How much of a challenge is, and this affects mostly the north side, our floodplain issues? Oh my gosh, that's probably one of our number one issue. Um, our department uh, actually has been successful in developing a few homes out of the floodplain meaning that we tore down a house, brought in Phil. Um, actually, another example of that is the Kane Street Garden Apartments um, and built out of the floodplain. But it is very challenging. Um, again, that's another issue that um, the, the, the market alone cannot solve that one. Um, just the cost of fill and then the complexities of basically taking the risk of, I hope if I do this at the end of the day, I'm not going to be paying flood insurance. And then um, we're looking at being strategic about doing that. I think we learned some important lessons that if the entire block is a low-lying area and you build one house out of the floodplain, um, that's just going to create issues for the neighbors. Yeah. So our strategy is to try to find whole half blocks or areas contiguous to other areas out of the floodplain um, because we we found um, that kind of the, just the one-off and, and one block isn't isn't helpful. But that that is a major um, issue in terms of north side. Um, homeowners just seeing a declining value of their homes. And again, that spurs on rental conversions because uh, the person that has to pay flood insurance is someone that owns a bank mortgage. So an investor could come in and buy that property in the floodplain, not have a mortgage, and then choose not to pay flood insurance. And so they're at an, you know, a financial incentive um, to basically engage in that um, lessens other buyers out there. Um, and the other thing that we're seeing, too, is it's challenging for the elderly. They probably own their mortgage and aren't paying uh, flood insurance, and so they almost have a disincentive to move as well. So it's very complicated. We're working on that one. <laughs> You'll have to have my colleague, Lewis Coleman, buy if you want <laughs> more details. <laughs> It, it sounds, you know, in, this is when everybody listening to the podcast will turn off. Because I'll warn you, we're going to talk about zoning for a moment, which <laughs> okay. is not always the most interesting topic. But I strongly disagree. <laughs> well, you should. It's actually very important. But there is, uh, in some places, and, and I guess most notably Minneapolis right now, has mm -hmm. done a you know, huge sort of philosophical shift yeah. in zoning. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, you drive around parts of lacrosse, you know, and... In, I can think of areas where you'll have single-family homes, single-family homes, single-family home, and then what I think 
um, your former colleague Larry Kirst calls <laughs> yes. a sideways motel, yeah. and then another four single family homes. I yeah. think I think is it fair to say that there was a time where zone, neighborhood zoning was maybe not as tight mm -hmm. as it is now, but then there are some people in Minneapolis is sort of the test tube incubator for this, where you know the, say, saying and celebrating that and saying it's a good thing to have a mix of you know, multifamily housing next to owner-occupied housing next to a duplex next to something else. I mean, what's your thought on that, or is, is that even a discussion that the city's having right now? I can tell you it's absolutely a conversation the city's having right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a conversation that we're having. Um and I think the verdict's still out on that one because, you know, yeah, I was just hearing in Seattle where, you know, we don't have the problems that Seattle or San Francisco has in terms of housing costs through the roof. But Minneapolis is experiencing that, and it's a solution to address housing affordability. But on the other hand, I think La Crosse has seen where uncontrolled build whatever you want um, has had negative impacts on the neighborhood. So I can say that our neighborhood associations are very strong in La Crosse and they are continuing to advocate that they would like more single family, continue to retain a lot of the single family homes in their neighborhood. And, um, and, and again, because maybe some of the negative impacts they've seen of having a four or five plex in the middle of the neighborhood. Um, and that the city is, you know, pursuing strategies to, you know, incentivize people to convert rentals to owner-occupied. Um, we received some funding to provide, you know, a loan to, for people to convert their homes. Um, but I can, I, you know, uh, again, my colleague Jason Gilman um, is also working on a plan to say, well, we, there is a place for multifamily in La Crosse. It's an important part of our housing stock. Where does it make sense? Maybe within neighborhoods or within the city of La Crosse. So I would say our current strategy is to perhaps, again, look at a whole view of the city and upzone in certain areas and try to encourage multifamily where we think um, it makes sense. Um, but I don't know that you'll see it right now um, in the middle of a primarily single family uh, neighborhood. I don't think we're there yet. And I honestly don't think housing affordability is definitely a concern, but it's probably not as bad as the Seattle, San Francisco, and Minneapolis markets. So we won't necessarily see a push as much for that yet. But we'll kind of, I think, the verdict's out to see how our market continues to change. You know, every time we have somebody from the city, I always ask them uh, at the end, and then it, and it pertains in this case to housing, but what part of, how much of Riverside North do you think, when that development's finally in place, will be housing? And is that... You mentioned that it, I mean, everybody kind of talks about that as the last great undeveloped land in the mm -hmm. city. Is is there a place for housing as part of that plan? Yeah, and that is primarily the majority of the housing plan for Riverside North is housing. I would say we're going to see at least hopefully 70% of the development being housing. And again, a mix of housing could be condos 
could be some multifamily, could be, will be single family and duplexes. Um, and yeah, we're, we're really excited for that project to happen. I definitely see, think we're going to see something, you know, happening this year, next year. Um, but again, a lot of that site is, was near the wetlands and in the floodplain and then contaminated. So it needed all these resources to make it developable again. And it's still taking a lot of resources to <laughs> get going. It is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a complicated project. I know the uh, plan for there is commercial, right? Commercial on the ground level mm -hmm. and then with housing up for top. For Riverside North, it's, I mean, it's a huge mm -hmm. site. So you're yeah. going to see like road, a road grid build out. You'll mm -hmm. see some multifamily, some mixed yields. You might see some office buildings, but you're still going to see a lot of housing. I would imagine, you know, the commercial or might be the ones closest to Copeland Avenue and then the mm -hmm. closer you get to the water. And then I think of the water, hopefully some restaurants or some cultural mm -hmm. amenities. So And certainly, you know, yeah. it, it, I, I think the city was quick to get people to stop calling it the mobile oil site for obvious reasons because <laughs> yeah. I think Riverside North really is hoping to have that linkage not only to Riverside Park but to downtown. Yeah, and we, you know, the vision for that site is, you know, just um, a development that takes on an international significance. So I'm, you know, we're waiting. <laughs> We've been patient a long time. Um, but, you know, I've hopefully others of you have gotten to take advantage of the walking path yeah. through there, which has been fun. So. so when you guys talk about mixed use, what is... Well, how does the planning department define that, like when it comes to mixed-use neighborhoods and new construction? And okay. We def that's a good question. We define it as, um, you know, one of two things. First of all, basically a single building, perhaps, where the ground floor is commercial or office space or basically where people aren't living and then the second, third, fourth floors are residential. Kind of the old model yep. of downtown. Yeah, yep. and so that's what um, we found in planning is um, instead of segregating our neighborhoods to housing only where you have to get in a car to get to that amenity, the idea of mixed use um, could help cultivate, you know, I can just go downstairs and enjoy that coffee. Um at the local cafe. And another thing that we've heard from our neighborhoods is just really lamenting as they've slowly watched a lot of their neighborhood businesses leave. Um, you know, the old ice cream shop that everyone used to go to or, um, uh, you the know, the restaurant, the stores. deli store, the corner grocery stores. I think in all of our neighborhoods, we can see what used to be the old corner grocery store or maybe you know, um, fix-it store that's now been converted to a house, and you're like, oh, that's kind of a funny-looking house. So, um, But the other thing in terms of mixed-use, or we call mixed-income, might be um, you have a larger site like we would have with Riverside North. Um, currently, we're looking at possibly redeveloping Wittenberg Park, which is going to be a significant um, area of land where you might see kind of different thing you might see duplexes or you might see an apartment building and then you might also see a park amenity it doesn't necessarily have to be commercial but again um, the idea of just not only having housing but some other types of amenities and 
again, surveying and, and what we know about what people are looking for who are interested in the city of La Crosse, that's the kind of things they're looking for a park, walking trails nearby, and, you know, that corner deli store or coffee shop is ideal. In practice, though, I would say, you know, my experience in planning is while that might be ideal, it is it is difficult to sometimes achieve that um, when you're not close to the downtown. Like the downtown is definitely taking out off, you know, no problem. But as you get further away from the d- downtown, as we've tried to encourage mixed use, sometimes it's it's a challenge because it's still a new idea uh, that's relatively kind of. Um, maybe new for developers and so they don't want to try to deal with okay you know how do I deal with these rents and well I I think I I really appreciate you coming in this is certainly an issue that affects everybody in the city because almost everybody needs a place to live and then most people hope it's affordable so we sure appreciate you coming in and chatting and thanks for everybody listening to TripCast. TripCast